Uh, get your Bibles. Why don't you get your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And, and we have been in a series uh, over the last few weeks that I still have a few more weeks in. Uh, but I call this series Friend Request. And uh, I'm talking about a, a, a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that you have a friend request, not just from Jesus. I know we used to sing the old, the old hymn, what, what a Friend We Have in Jesus. That was one of my grandfather's favorites. I can still sing all the stanzas of that. Um, and, and I love it. What a friend we have in Jesus. But you also have a friend uh, who is the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about the fact that he has called alongside us to help us and that he helps us uh, and he refreshes us. And last weekend we talked about how he empowers us. And I'm just wanting our church, really, I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different experiences and even a lot of different denominations and all that's good. I think wherever you've been, you ought to celebrate because wherever you've been has gotten you to where you are. And wherever you are, God is so powerful that no matter where you are today, you can be on the way to where God wants you to be. Even if you walked into this place and you had no clue there was a God. Where you're at today is the first step to where God wants you to be if you trust in him and if you put your faith in him. And so I love how God works in our lives, but I want us all to understand. I, I was, I think I shared this last weekend, but there was a, a gentleman, we have a, a team that meets every, uh, our group of people meets every Saturday morning. They pray for all of our services and pray over all the chairs and, and we're so thankful for them. But one of those gentlemen who's very, very faithful to that group told me, a couple of weekends ago, I was at that prayer meeting and he said, you know, I was raised and he gave the denomination. He said, the denomination I was raised, we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And I just didn't understand that he was a he and who he was and all that he did for us. And he said, I'm loving this series. And it was just a reminder to me, now, the background I was raised in, very comfortable with the Holy Spirit. We knew a lot about the Holy Spirit. Um, we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And, and so I didn't have that experience. I kind of knew who he was, and, and, and a lot of things I'm teaching you were not necessarily new concepts for me. But I love the fact that we have people who come from all different walks and all different backgrounds who we've just gathered and said, hey, we just want more of Jesus. We want what God wants for us. And it's kind of been fun for us to explore this together. So if you're kind of on the side where, hey, I just didn't know a lot about the Holy Spirit, hopefully you'll go and listen to all these messages. Um, but today I want to take on a couple of terms, really, that, that I was very familiar with growing up. And, but I also understand they can be a little bit confusing. If you didn't grow up maybe the way that I grew up or in the church that I grew up in, and those terms are filled with the Spirit or Spirit-filled, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, I grew up, they used to say, have been baptized, um, do you have spirit baptism or, you know, have you received the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'll show you in a minute, it's really not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's the baptism of Jesus. It's the baptism of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And I, I will show you that. And, and so here's, here's what I want you to say, want you to understand. I'm just going to, I don't have time I, I can promise you I took more scripture out of this message than I left in it. And so time would not permit me to tell you everything in the world. But I'm going to show you a lot of things throughout the whole Bible. And if nothing else, if you came in today and you're like, I don't know this whole baptism, Holy Spirit, I'm not sure. I'm going to give you enough that, that if you want to, you can go dig in your Bible um, or if you want to email the office, I'll give you books that you can read. But, but my goal, again, is just to show you truth from the Word of God. And I think when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, there's so much truth, and there's so much truth that we don't really even talk about in church. And I want you to understand also, it's like I said last weekend, that, that we live, God, God, there's a part of God that's mysterious in a way. In other words, we're never going to know all of him. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it will take all of eternity for God to reveal his grace to us. God is so, so good and so deep in goodness, if you will, that even after we're with him, he'll spend eternity showing us how good he is. So we're, we're not ever going to know it all, right? And, and so, but here's what I would say is, when we don't, when we come to a place, I call it the crisis of faith, where we don't understand, then take the understanding and lean into God, right? And don't take the misunderstanding and lean away from him. And that's really what I want us to do in this series is just lean into God, whether we understand everything or not. And so I want to kind of give some clarity 
to the idea of filled. And here's why that's a little confusing, and some of you understand that. It's because the Bible tells us very clearly, and I'll show you in just a moment, that when I receive Christ, the, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Right? So by faith, when I receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've come from a place where you receive Jesus and they taught you that the Holy Spirit indwelled you, first of all, they taught you correctly, right? So we're not changing that. But then you may have ran into someone and said, are you, I know you're a Christian, but are you spirit filled? And you were like, uh, yeah. You know, he said, you know, what well, I don't, I don't, you know, I understood, you know, that Jesus, you know, we say Jesus came to live in our heart. He really didn't. The Holy Spirit filled our soul. That's what actually happened. Um, but then you ran into somebody and said, well, we're, we go to a spirit filled church. And you thought, well, I wonder what my church is filled with. <laughs> and so, so I want you to understand those ideas. And so we're just going to jump in this together and hopefully you will leave here with some clarity. But Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, and while, uh, and while staying with them, this is Jesus. So, so give you a timeline. He has resurrected, all right? And this is probably approaching day 40 of his resurrection. So we talked about this last week when we talked about the term Pentecost, and we found out that Pentecost was not a style of church service or a style of music. In fact, Pentecost had nothing to do with the amount of makeup you can wear. It was actually a Jewish holiday that was 50 days after the Sabbath after Passover. So Passover, then the first Sabbath, then 50 days in Pentecost, or Pentecost. And, um, and we talked about that's where in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Holy Spirit fell on the church. And so this is probably about day 40, uh, or approaching day 40. It's hard to tell exactly. It says, and he told them, he said, he said don't depart from Jerusalem, uh, but wait, now watch this, for the promise of the Father. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the Father good? If he promised you something, would it be good? And if he promised you something, wouldn't you want something he promised? So he said, wait on the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Now, Jesus is going to make a distinction, and I just want you to, I want to ask this question. Do you feel like Jesus would be an authority on theology? Since he is God, would he be an authority on the study of God? That's what theology is, the study of God, right? Could we, could we trust him? Okay, well, here's what Jesus says. The promise of the Father you heard from me. Now, watch this distinction, verse 5. For John baptized with water. Now, do we all understand water baptism? You've at least heard the concept. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Jesus, you know, you know, Holy Spirit, dunk them, right? All right, so John, that was John's baptism or the baptism of repentance. But John's baptism, he said, for John baptized with water. Now, watch this. But, 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 the, he's talking to a group of people who have been water baptized, and he's saying, hey, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what Jesus just said is, I know you've been water baptized, but I want you to wait on the promise, and the promise is another baptism. Do you see that? Does, does, does Jesus talk about two baptisms there? Is he talking to his followers? Right? I want you to wait on the promise. I call this message, he is a promise. And I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is a promise, and the promise is also a baptism. And he said, I want you to wait on the promise. Well, what's the promise? Well, you've been baptized with water, but the promise is you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, and so I want, to, I want to talk about that. And first of all, I want to talk about the promise. So let's talk about that. So here's the promise. The promise is that you can be baptized with another baptism. I almost called this message, do I need another baptism? And I wanted, to, I wanted to phrase it that way so that you would have to ask yourself that question. Do you need another baptism? Is there another baptism? Well, Acts 1 says, wait for the promise, and we know the promise is a baptism. And baptism, the word baptism, by the way, is immersion. It means fully submerged. That's why we baptize the way we baptize, because the word um, nothing against any other denomination or religion or anything like that. But the word means immersion. And that's the way Jesus was baptized it, with immersion. He went all the way under the water and came out. And we just figure if it was good enough for Jesus, it, it should work for us, right? Um, 
by the way, well, let me say this and I'll say it. So, so Jesus talks about another baptism. Now I want to show you something in John 20 verse 22. Um, this is after the resurrection, right? In fact, this is one of those times where Jesus walked through a wall and then said what he would need to say after having walked through a wall. <laughs> Fear not. <laughs> Peace be with you. <laughs> you know, Jesus comes through a wall. He needs to tell you something like that, right? And so, and so Jesus is meeting with the disciples. Now, this is after the resurrection. Here's why this is significant. It's the, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So up until this time, the Holy Spirit had not indwelled the followers of Jesus. But now having been resurrected, and this was you know, probably the day after or the day of, but uh, right, after, right after being resurrected, Jesus walks into his disciples, and he, this is what it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was the first group of people to have the Holy Spirit indwell them by faith in the grace of Jesus. Are you with me? So we would, this is what now happens to us at salvation, right? But this was, this was the first group. This was the test batch. This was beta. You understand what I'm saying, right? Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus said, um, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit and breathe on them, let me ask you a question. Did they receive the Holy Spirit? Did he indwell them? Well, then it, it, I, I agree. They received the Holy Spirit and he indwelled them. But let's look at Luke 24, 49, because this would have been right after this. So timeline-wise, this is like one of the next things he says. He said, behold, I'm sending you, sending the promise. There it is again, the promise of my Father. Now watch this, upon you. Upon you. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit being upon you. See, my problem with church is not that we don't understand Greek. It's that we don't understand English. Right? See, the Holy Spirit's in me for me. He's upon me for you. The Holy Spirit was in the disciples for them, but he came upon them so they could change the world. Are you with me? He said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until, watch this, you are clothed with power. In other words, Holy Spirit, he just breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in them. But he said, hey, before you can go into all the world and preach the gospel, I need you to be clothed in power. By the way, uh, I've heard people say, well, Jesus wasn't spirit baptized. Oh, yes, he was. Okay. Jesus didn't have to be born again because he was born right the first time. Can we agree on that? He was without sin. The reason you need to be born again is because you were you screwed up the first time. You were born wrong, right? What I mean by that is you were not born righteous. You were born unrighteous because of the fault, right? So we had to be born again to become the righteousness of God in Christ, and that's the work of grace, right? So Jesus was born right the first time. He didn't have to be born again. There was no sin, right? But then Jesus was water baptized by John. And when he came up, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended and remained on him. On him. Right? Descended and remained on him. See, that's spirit baptism. It's the best definition. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would rest on a prophet. Right? And you'd see this, and the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, who was a judge, right? The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He, he would come upon him. But then he would lift off. Spirit baptism, he rests upon you and remains. And so Jesus was spirit baptized. In fact, uh, we read last week, it's like Luke 9, where, where the Bible says, and God anointed Jesus, and then he went and he healed and did good works. Right? Do you understand? Before Jesus started his ministry, he was water baptized and spirit baptized and then led of the Spirit into the wilderness, right? Well, he's led of the Spirit in the wilderness, came out, water baptized, spirit baptized, then started his ministry. Are you with me? So if it's, you know, we used to sing this, give me the old time religion, and y'all ever heard that song? It just says the same thing over again, and you just try to change the words to however you feel led, you know. But they used to say, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, right? Well, it's good enough for me. Um... And so what is, what's the difference? You may say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Let me give you a picture. Um, when I'm saved, the Spirit indwells me. So if I took a glass of water and I poured water in, or took a glass and poured water in it, the water would be in the glass, right? 
And I would say, well, that's salvation. The water's in the glass. The spirit has indwelled the body. All right, so what spirit baptism? Well, now I'm going to put the glass in a swimming pool. Is there water in the glass? Yes. Is there water on the glass? Yes. Is the water drowning in the glass? Yes. That's the idea. It's that, that to me is, is the difference. And people say, well, you know, I just don't, I believe everything happens at salvation and there's no subsequent work after salvation. Well, then what's water baptism? Is that something you do after salvation? Yeah. See, there's no work in salvation because God doesn't want us confused on how we're saved. It's all him. Our faith, his grace, we're saved. But then he says, I want you to be water baptized. And now I'm telling you there's another baptism. See, there, there are three, three baptisms. Let me, let me just show you three. Three baptisms. First of all is salvation. And, and again, I'll remind you this a minute. Remember, the problem's not Greek. The problem's English. Okay? So number one, sal- salvation is, is, watch this, that's the first baptism. It's called baptism. It's the baptism into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says this, for by, now watch who's doing the baptism and what we're baptized in. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Do you see that? That's salvation, right? By the way, I need you to understand this is why I say that salvation is not a merit badge and it's not an additive to your life. It's where your life is lost in his body. You lose you and become him, Right? So if, if you got saved and you didn't get immersed in the body, then you may have prayed a prayer, but salvation is when I'm completely lost in him. When the spirit baptizes me into the body, into the body of Christ. Are you with me? All right, so there's salvation. And then, then that's the first baptism. Second baptism, water. All right, most of us are familiar with this. Go into all the world. Great commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's exactly how we do it here. Water baptism. It's, it's the second baptism. Then there's this third baptism that I'm talking about, baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. Watch this, Matthew 3.11. Matthew 3.11. By the way, this is John the Baptist. So this is a Baptist speaking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can accept his word. <laughs> He's Baptist. John said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he, that's Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize. Look here. There's a different baptism. This is John the Baptist, right? And he said, hey, I baptize you with water, but there's coming somebody else after me, Jesus, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We know the day of Pentecost, there was fire, like tongues of fire that rest upon them. So here's John the Baptist saying, yeah, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody else. There's another, there's another baptism. I baptize you with water, but, but there's another baptism. By the way, there are very few things in all four gospels. Uh, the reason is the first three are what they call synoptic gospels in that they're similar because they refer to a similar time period. Matthew, Mark, and Luke start with genealogies and the birth of Jesus, and then they skip to the last year of Jesus' life and go through death, burial, and resurrection. John is different. John covers the part. He, he starts the birth of Jesus, but he covers the first part of Jesus' ministry. That's why when he turned water into wine, it's only in John's gospel because that was the first miracle. It's not in the other three. So there are very few things that are in all three gospels. But you know what's in all three gospels? All four gospels? All four of them? The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's in all four. It's in all four. Um, I, I want you to think about the baptisms and what they do, because to me, it's such a complete work of grace in our lives. Because when I'm saved, I become a new creation. Can we agree with that? All old things have passed away. All things, new creation. Water baptism, what does the New Testament say? It's a circumcision of the flesh. It's a cutting away of the flesh off of my heart. All right? So in the first baptism, I become new. In water baptism, the old is cut away. And in spirit baptism, I'm clothed with power to walk in the new. You see how perfect that is? Okay. Let me show you the, let me show you the three baptisms in the Old Testament. 
They're in there? Oh, yeah. The Bible's awesome. It will interpret itself. Um, the Old Testament's full of types and shadows, so let me show you all three in the Old Testament. First of all, um, look at Israel. Um, or better yet, look at the start with Abraham. That way we'll go in order. So look at Abraham. So Abraham, God called him out of her, called him out. Said, I want you to, to come out and follow me, and I'm going to make you and bless you and increase you and give you descendants, right? And we all know that Abraham being called out of his family and out of his town, out of his country, was a picture of salvation, right? Same thing happens to us. He calls us out of our old life and into a new life. Salvation. Then God says to Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you, and the sign of the covenant is circumcision, right? What's, what's, what's baptism? Circumcision of the heart, cutting away the flesh, right? So there's salvation. There's water baptism, right? And then God says to Abram, his name was Abram at the time, he said, I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to put the ha in your name and make you Abraham. Ha is ruah or spirit. And so here's what God said. I called you out, salvation. Cut away the flesh, water baptism. Now I'm going to put my spirit in your name, spirit baptism. And by the way, he did the same to Sarah so they wouldn't have debates in the house about which denomination was right. <laughs> he changed from Sarah to Sarah. Then think about Israel. Israel was freed from bondage, right? Mo, you know, Moses let my people go freed from bondage. And then they, what, well, where were they baptized? Well, they passed through the Red Sea when God cut the waters off. Baptism. And then say, well, they weren't, you know, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, that's where Pentecost started was Mount Sinai, where God came down on the mountain with a cloud and thunderings and lightnings and the booming of his voice, right? So it was there. How about the tabernacle of Moses? Well, tabernacle of Moses, first of all, there was where you sacrificed the lamb. You had to slay the lamb, the, the shedding of blood for the remission of sin, their salvation. Then you washed in the laver, right? By the way, this is the order. Washed in the laver, right? What's that? Baptism. And then you were anointed with oil. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So there's spirit baptism. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. Let me show you three in Scripture together. And by the way, I can't read all the Scriptures because we don't have that kind of time. But um, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And the people said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Now let me take on something because I've heard it and I think it's silly. Um, when people, because Peter's going to give them three things. He's going to give them the three baptisms. Spoiler alert. He's going to give them all three baptisms, okay? And, but people said, well, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what do we do? He only gave them believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay. Let me just help you. The question wasn't the same. They said, what shall we do? The Philippian jailer said, Paul, what do I need to do to be saved? See, the first baptism is salvation. If all I'm looking for is a ticket to heaven, that's all I need. It's only if I want to lean into God and live a life that changes the world that I need the old cutaway and to be clothed in power. But if this is just nominal Christianity where I say my prayer and wait for the bus to heaven, the first one's good enough. I've just never wanted to live a nominal life. And I don't think God's called us to a nominal life or there wouldn't be two more baptisms. So the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. But, but these guys said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, well, if you really want to know, <laughs> then first of all, repent, that's salvation. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins. That's water. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? All three. By the way, you can see all three in Acts chapter 8, and you can see all three in Acts chapter 19. Right? Acts chapter 19 is kind of funny because Paul encounters these believers and they're like, hey, we're believers. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now think about the question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? In other words, I know you're believers, but did you, did you get this other? And I know you've been water baptized, but did you get this other thing? See, we say, no, no, he's just asking. It doesn't make sense to acknowledge they're believers and then ask them if, if there's no other thing. Right? So he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and they, like a lot of church people, said, we'd not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And it said he laid his hands on them, and they were filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy. Are you with me? How about another verse? Uh, 1 John 5, verse 7. 
It says there are three that bear, are you breathing? Are you okay? Just welcome to, welcome to Spirit Baptism 101. Um, I know it's a little bit academic, but you need to see it in the Bible. You need to understand that it's, if it's in the Bible, right? It's in the Word of God. Um, 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father and the Word. We know that's Jesus. John many times referred to Jesus as the Word. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Now, time out. Don't read ahead. I know you're going to be tempted. (laughs) Now, there are three. Can we all agree there are three that bear witness in heaven? The Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Can we all agree on that? There's God the Father. We sing the song. I believe in God the Father, Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. We sing it, right? All right. Now, Jesus said, we want it on earth as it is in heaven. So wouldn't it be cool if there were three on earth that agreed with the three in heaven? Well, John, verse 8, it says, and there are three that bear witness on earth. Well, praise God. And then watch this. It's the three baptisms. It just starts with, it goes in reverse order. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. See? I think what I'm trying to say is that there is another baptism. There, Jesus was baptized, <laughs> Do you think that, you know, I ask this question a lot, but do you think that if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to rest upon him to do what God called him to do, do you think that perhaps we do? And if Jesus was baptized, and I know people say, well, that's not for today. That doesn't even make sense to me. (laughs) Can I tell you the real problem? Let's just, can we just be honest? The problem is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People have no problem being clothed with power. The problem is you're all scared to death of tongues. Let's just put our cards on the table. I want everything God has, but don't talk about tongues. Don't say it in church. I've heard there was a demon named tongues, and I heard people, you're scared to death that somebody's going to speak in tongues as if it's going to hurt you. Have you ever heard a baby babble? Blah, 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 blah. Right? No, it didn't scare me when mine did it. And so that's the problem to me is we don't have a problem with the Holy Spirit. We have a problem with our perception of the packaging. We have a problem with the perception of the method. And what I'm saying is why don't we lay all of our misconceptions and fears and realize I'm never going to understand everything about God. And why don't we lay it aside and say, you know what, God, if there are three baptisms and I want to change the world, then I want everything that you have for me, and I'm going to put aside the stereotypes and the packaging I don't like and the thing that I'm scared to death and realize that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman and the only thing that's going to limit God in my life is me. And as long as I want to stand away from him because I'm scared to death of something I don't understand, you don't have to worry about it getting on you. You also don't have to worry about taking over the world. But if you want to do something with your life, if you want to live a life that's beyond normal, if you want all that God has for you, then you lean into the mystery and say, God, you're safe. You've given me a promise. I believe in the Holy Spirit and I'll be okay with however he moves through my life. And I'm not going to say he has to move this way. And I'm not going to say I'm scared to death of this. I'm going to say, God, you're good. And I'm going to lean in for what you have for me. What if it's not about tongues? What if it's not about that? Right? The problem is we make it all about what it's not about. Here's my second point. That's the promise. Here's the power. What if it's not about tongues? Wait on the promise of the Father until you're clothed in power. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. And you will receive power. Jesus didn't say, wait for the promise till you speak in tongues. It's amazing to me, and, and, and I understand. First of all, let me say this. I'm going to talk about tongues next week. And let me say this. I have a prayer language. I've spoken in tongues, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because I'm telling you right now, I can't do what I do without it. I wouldn't want to try it one day. This morning during worship, I prayed in the Spirit the whole time. Because Satan's relentless. And you know what a prayer language does? It builds you up. 
I don't know about you. I'm for anything that builds me up. I'll talk about it next. So if that scares you to death that I told you that I pray in tongues, then boo. <laughs> now, I'm not going to pray in tongues over the microphone. I'm not going to add to confusion. It's what Paul told the Corinthian church. When we gather, there are people that don't understand. When we gather, there are unbelievers. And he's like, y'all are screaming at everybody in tongues and scaring everybody away from the church. So there, there is the spirit of the prophet subject to the prophet. In other words, I can operate in gifts or not, and it is my yielding. So the Holy Spirit's not going to possess me and make me act like a fool. Right? And so, but I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't get up in the platform without praying in the spirit. Because if I'm going to do a supernatural work, so you don't need a good speech. You don't need a good speech. You need something that's got spirit behind it. Something that's got power behind it. And Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power. It didn't say you'll receive tongues. See, that's the problem. We're all scared to death of tongues, and so we, leave, so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Since the, the bathwater looks a little murky, we just throw the baby out. I don't understand tongues, so I'm not going to go after God for the power. I better get off that. I got other things to talk about. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about because you need power you don't have. And if you didn't need the power, he wouldn't have promised it. See, the, the word power there, most people know it's dunamis. Dunamis is, is a Greek word. We get the word dynamite from. It's explosive power. And, but you know what I love about it is dunamis, the, the actual definition is inherent power. So I like that. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings inherent power. But it's power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Power by virtue of nature. Power by virtue of nature. Here's why I need the Holy Spirit in me and on me. Because I need the power in me to drive the power that's, with on, me, that's on me. Let me say it another way. Everything God did, every miracle, is motivated not by power, but by nature. Why did God offer salvation? Because of love. It's actually his nature that motivates power. See, we want miracles, but yet we want to pick it and be hateful towards people that don't believe like us. Not us, but Christians. And we wonder why people don't get saved. Because that's not power. That's not even the right nature. That's just hatred. Being justified by faith. Most of the time, or several times throughout the Bible, you'll see Jesus did a miracle. It says he was moved with compassion. See, if I really want to see God's power working through me, then I've got to allow God's power to work in me. And as Peter said, realize I've been made a partaker of a divine nature and let God's nature and my nature fuse to become one nature and then let power be driven out of that nature. See, when I, when I see the word power, to me it's moral power and miracle power, but the moral power comes first. That I become controlled by the spirit and not by the flesh. And I allow God's power and his spirit upon me and in me to change me to where now I'm not just trying to, to do something, but what I'm doing is, is motivated out of the character that, and the nature that I've partaken of. See, I, one of the problems that I've seen with power on this side is people start pursuing God for power. Well, you need the power. We need to pursue God for all that he has. But what I've seen ministers fall prey to personally, so I'll speak to this because I am one, is, is when our relationship with God becomes professional in that I need a relationship so I have power to do what God's called me to do, that, that's called professional intimacy. We have another name for it. It's called prostitution. 
I need intimacy for the next gig, for the next meeting. The problem with that is it's the pursuit is wrong. I need intimacy for me. But power will be produced out of it. So it's, this is not about pursuing power, but it's about the fact that my relationship with God should bring me to a place of going deeper in him so that I'm clothed with power and then the power is motivated by the nature. And when God's nature is in us and we become nature driven by love and move with compassion, then the power will come. Paul said this, be compelled by love. Be compelled by love. That's where power shows up when it's nature driven. Are you with me? And so that's what it's talking about, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Kindness, gentleness, that's all nature. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit is, when I'm truly yielded to the Holy Spirit, his nature begins to come out of me, right? And when I'm truly yielded to him, then we get to 1 Corinthians 12, which is by the Spirit, these gifts are given, the working of miracles and the gift of faith and the gift of prophecy, right? All of these miracles now, what is that? It's still coming out of that same relationship in that same nature. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to tell you you need to go speak in tongues. I'm trying to tell you you need to lean into God for all that he has for you. And that's what our world needs, and that's what we need, is to see a people that are truly compelled by his nature and empowered by his spirit. That's, that's the difference maker. Are, are you with me? All right, well, I'll go to the next thing. Then. Well, let me just say this, kind of like what I said last week. <clears throat> There's supposed to be two supernatural things about the church. Our nature and our power. And those things should leave awake. Everywhere we go, there should be residue of the nature of God and the power of God. Do you understand that? And this is why we lean in and we want all that God has for us and we want all three baptisms because I want everywhere I go not just to leave a wake of I blew something up. <laughs> um, Dwight, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dwight L. Moody. Um, he was a powerful man of God, I think in the late 1800s, around the time of Charles Finney and those guys, um, back before you know all the technology we have today, preached to about 100 million people. Um, Dwight L. Moody... If you read his autobiography, um, he was a preacher, preached sermons, but not a lot happened. Not big crowds, not a lot of conversions. But there were these two little ladies, um, I can't remember their name now, one of them was Snow, uh, one of them was called Auntie something, and they kept telling him, we're praying for you. And he would say, well, pray for the people, they're not getting saved. (laughs) No, we're praying for you because you need to be filled with the Spirit. He finally describes having an experience with the Holy Spirit, with, with God, where he was what he called baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said it was so, the, that it was like waves of liquid love that so overwhelmed him that he asked God to stop lest he die. After that, he would walk through a factory, the factory would shut down and everybody would get saved. After that, he says, I preached the same sermons as I did before, but watched thousands come to repentance. Well, what was the difference? The third baptism. Here's what I'm saying is, maybe, maybe you don't even need to say anything to the person in the cubicle next to you at work. Maybe you just need another baptism. Maybe you don't need to nag your husband anymore. Maybe you just need another baptism. Are are you, okay, let me tell you the last thing. So the promise, the power, here's the purpose. (laughs) We're just having a talk. I don't have much of a voice, so I can't scream at you. The five o'clock last night did all the screaming for me. It was awesome. But, um... The purpose, Acts 1.8, we said a while ago, you'll, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, um, and you'll be witnesses. Do you see that word? You'll be witnesses. Um, to me, and we talk all the time about kingdom assignment, and I kind of talked about that last week, that we're all here. 
king, we'll seek first the kingdom, everything is after that, that we're supposed to live filtering everything through kingdom first. How does, how does my life bring God's kingdom into the earth? And I talked about that last week. Well, I want to tell you where that's, if you're, if you're like, well, that's ambiguous and I don't understand, then let's just go with what Jesus said and be witnesses. Um, we miss this, but can I tell you that the, the number one sign, now if you, the reason that, the reason that a lot of denominations say that the, the, they call it the evidence, I don't like that word because I don't think you need to prove anything to me. Um, I don't mind experience, but I don't like the, the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking. And I don't like that because it was actually language that was used in a uh, theological debate that became doctrine. And I just don't like the language because I don't, need the, I don't need the Holy Spirit to be better than you. I need him to be better than me. So I don't need to prove it to you. I just need to know, right? And Dwight L. Moody knew. <laughs> but but it, it, um, the number one sign, if you study the book of Acts, and I know why that, because I was raised in a denomination that believed that. Obviously, I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in a prayer language. I believe tongues is misunderstood, and I'll explain it all next week. So I don't know if next week it's going to be packed or empty because <laughs> I'm preaching on tongues. It's like some people are like, I ain't, I'm just, I ain't going there. Listen, we're not going to do anything weird. <laughs> we're not going to try to make anybody speak in tongues, nor are we going to teach anybody to speak in tongues. You don't need somebody to teach you to speak. You need experience with God. And if tongues comes out of that, you'll be okay with it. Trust me. Um, but the, I understand because of... Uh, five times in the book of Acts, people were filled with the Spirit. Three of those times, it mentions tongues. Two of them, it just says there was something that was apparent. It was obvious something had happened. And that's where the doctrine comes from, and it goes all the way back to the 1800s in a Bible school, and an assignment, study the book of Acts, and da, da, da. So I can tell you all that. But can I tell you what's in the book of Acts more than tongues? To me, it's the number one sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Boldness. Boldness. In fact, Acts 4, watch this. Acts 4, this is just one of them, but there are 10 different references, whether it's Peter and John, Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, there are 10 references to the Holy Spirit and boldness. Acts 4.31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and watch this, and they were all filled with the Spirit. Now, leave that up there. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with... Now, these, here's what's cool about this. Two things. Number one, these were the apostles, and they were scared because there was persecution. So they're hiding in a room, but they know they're called to do something supernatural. So they're at an impasse with themselves. On one side, I have my fear. On the other side, I have my faith. How many has ever lived in that world? And they needed a tiebreaker. My God, that's good preaching. They needed a tiebreaker. And so they prayed and the Holy Spirit broke up, broke in and broke out, however you want to say it. And he became the tiebreaker and they went back out to preach. Now, now here's what's interesting. By the way, these are the same apostles that in John 20, he breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. And they're the same apostles that in Acts 2 had tongues of fire upon them and were baptized in the Spirit. And then in Acts 4, they're filled with the Spirit again. Do you know why they had to be filled again? Because they leaked. That's what I love about the third baptism. You can have as much of it as you want. It's not like water where it's one dunk. I can be dunked every day because I leak. But here's the thing. They preach the word of God with boldness, even under scrutiny and persecution. And 10 times throughout the, 10 times, just in the book of Acts, 10 times there's references to boldly proclaim the word of God or, or, or moving in boldness or being bold. And to me, it's because he said, I need you to be a witness. And here's why I think people aren't witnesses. Number one is because the church has made it, well, we've made it theological. That's the problem. Witnessing has become theological. And, well, I don't know how to witness. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever been to court? I've only been on trial two or three times. But in those times, I've been acquitted every time. But in those times of being on court, do you know what? I never... I've never seen, even just watching TV, I've never seen them swear someone in to be a witness and then say, well, I don't know how to be a witness. Because you know what? They understand that the church has forgotten. All witness does is, this is what I saw and heard. Here's my experience. 
It's not even theological. I don't even need scripture to witness. Listen, the, the apostles were all amazing. He called them to be witnesses and didn't even give them the New Testament yet. They didn't have the Romans road. Paul hadn't been converted yet. All they did was go tell their story. They just needed the boldness to do it. And all of you have stories, whether it's how God saved you, how he delivered you, how he blessed you, how he prospered you, how he, whatever he did in your life, your marriage, your family. You all have a story. And that's all witnessing is. People can argue with, they can argue with your theology. They can argue with that, but they can't argue with your story. You start telling someone, man, this is how, you know, God delivered me. No, he didn't. Shut up. Yes, he is. I was there, dummy. What are you talking about? All right. So let me sum this up. So here's what I'd love for everybody. I'd love for everybody to lean in. To lean in. And I, I really struggled with, should we pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in the service? And I really felt to check. And the reason is because I think most of the people in here that are now curious would not be comfortable. And so I'm going to pray for you where you're at. But here's what I'm telling you. I want you to go get along with God. And you tell him, God, if this is what you want, I want it. He said, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was all by myself. It was too distracting in the church that I went to to try to be, because I'm ADD. And everybody had to touch you and pray for you and loose your tongue and bind your mind and put a Q-tip in. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, <laughs> for me, it was just too distracting. And, and I spent, I don't know, months praying and asking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the way I first figured out that I must be baptized in the Holy Spirit was actually a word of prophecy I gave to someone in a prayer meeting when I, I'd never done that before. I knew what it was because the church I went to, I understood. But all of a sudden, I knew and saw stuff there wasn't a way for me to know and see. And, and I knew then the Holy Spirit was work. But I, for me, I wanted a prayer language. I wanted it because it builds me up. And I wanted a prayer partner that would pray with me the perfect will of God over my life. And so I wanted that. Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with asking for spiritual gifts. But I wanted that. Here, I'll say it this way. It wasn't that I wanted to speak in tongues. I wanted an experience with God. And I, in my living room, came home from college. And in my living room, um, I knelt down and for months fasted and prayed and asked God for an experience with him. And one day I was just crying out to God and I ran out of words, which is hard for me to do. <laughs> and when I, when I ran out of words, when the Bible says there are like streams of water flowing out of you, I ran out of words and I just felt this stream flowing out of me. And then out of that stream came a language that I've never understood. But I can tell you this, I sure wouldn't trade it. And I can tell you this, I sure don't understand it. And I can tell you this, I don't care if you believe me or not. So here's what I'd love for you to do. If you, if you want to lean forward with God, here, it's, can I tell you it's the same steps as being saved? If I was going to give you steps, number one, remove the barriers. Peter said, repent and be baptized. So um, if I was going to be saved, I've got to remove the barriers. I've got to, I've got to give up myself, right? So <clears throat> I've got to lay aside my stereotypes and my fears and my concerns. And will people think I'm weird? They already think you're weird. They just didn't tell you. <laughs> remove the barriers and then request the gift. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, you're not going to have to worry about being baptized in the Spirit if you don't ever ask. That's why I'd say, well, I don't mind being baptized with Spirit if God wants that. Is that how salvation works? Like, Lord, I don't mind being saved if you want it. And God's like, it's not my will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why would he make you a promise if he didn't want you to have it? That's what I'm saying. You don't have to worry about it if you don't ask for it. So remove the barriers, request the gift, right? Um, and then you receive it by faith. Same way you do salvation, you receive it by faith. Well, how will I know? You'll know. You'll know. Well, will I speak in tongues? 
Well, let me ask you right now. Let me just tell you what I think. If right now you're thinking, I'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm not speaking in tongues, that's the first thing that's going to happen to you. <laughs> because God's going to disarm your flesh. You'll probably be one of those rolls around on the floor. You'd have to be in a Pentecostal church to understand that joke. <laughs> and, then, and then relate to him daily. So remove the barriers, request the gift, right? Receive it by faith, and then relate to him daily. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The, extravagant, the, the grace of the Master Jesus, the extravagant love of the Father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you. Yes, you have a friend in Jesus, but you have a friend who's the Holy Spirit, and he is a promise, and he baptizes, Right? And he empowers you, and he helps you, right? And he refreshes you. Amen. And he's your friend. And you can trust him. Come on, can you give God praise for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you? Why don't you stand with me? Here's, I wish there was just a way for me to say, if it's God, you don't need to be scared. If it's God, you don't need to worry. And, and if it's God, it's because he has something for you that's better than something you understand, and it has a purpose. And the purpose is, is not to, to make you speak in tongues. The purpose is to give you power to be a witness, to boldly do what God's called you to do. And if we're really going to change the world, we need that. Just the same way the apostles, they wanted to change the world, and they needed it too. And I realize in a lot of churches, they don't teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It confuses too many people, and it's just easier. That's, I think that's my biggest problem with church today, is we keep trying to Americanize the gospel. And we keep trying to make the gospel convenient and palatable for Americans, and Americans keep getting farther and farther away from God. I'm sorry, the gospel is supposed to offend you. It's supposed to scare the hell out of you and knock the flesh off of you. Oh, my God, he said hell. Well, it is a place. It is a place, and people go there or heaven. And the people that you need the boldness to preach the gospel to, they need to hear it so they don't go there. Right? We bow our heads. Sometimes I can't believe some of the stuff I say. We bow our heads for me.